Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, welcome back. I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass, and thanks for joining me. Do you remember what it was like the first time that you drove a car? Like the very first time you got behind the wheel and just drove. Now, I don't know, maybe you felt that sense of freedom and possibility, like you could go anywhere now. You could do anything all on your own. Or maybe you felt like a real grown-up for the first time with power and responsibility. Maybe you just thought that you looked really cool and now you'd be able to pick up chicks or dudes. Whatever those good and romantic feelings are, they are a total lie. Completely. You did not feel that the first time you drove. Now, maybe the first time you drove after you got your license. But let's be honest. The first time you got behind the wheel, you were with one of your parents or a driving instructor, and it was probably one of the scariest moments of your life. Because when we're little kids, we're driven around everywhere. I mean, anytime we go anywhere, someone is driving us there. And we watch our parents use the gear shift and turn signals. We, we watch and learn how stoplights and street signs work. And after spending 15 years of our lives watching the whole thing, we think we're experts until we get that learner's permit and we're sitting in the driver's seat with the wheel in our hands and our feet on the pedals for the first time. And then it's like sitting at the control panel for a nuclear reactor. There's a million buttons and switches that we don't understand and there's life or death consequences if we screw it up. And we probably will. When I took my oldest daughter Cameron out driving for the first time, oh, Wow, let me just tell you. So there was a large church by our house that had a big old parking lot. And because that parking lot was always huge and empty, I took her driving there because there was no one that we could run over. So I was working with Cameron on her left turns because she was turning too wide and she wasn't accelerating through enough. So she was always slowing down and it was just like, Ugh. so we're working on left turns and, and she did what I asked and she put all of her focus and attention into getting that turn just right. And when she took that left turn, it was the perfect amount of gas, the perfect turn. I mean, it was a perfect left turn until she almost jumped the sidewalk and drove our car through the entrance of the church. And the only thing that stopped our car from literally sitting in the church lobby was the fact that I jerked the wheel back. Because what happened was this, Cameron was so focused on getting her left turn right that she stopped paying attention to where the car was actually going, which was almost into a building. Driving a car seems simple when you're just watching it. I mean, turns are the easiest thing to do when you're watching. But when it's time for you to actually do the driving yourself, you realize that watching and doing are not the same thing. Now, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew as a church. And for the first nine chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' disciples have been watching him. They've been watching him teach, watching him interact with people. They've been watching him heal people who are sick. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus decides that it's time for the disciples to get behind the wheel themselves. So now Jesus is sending them out on their own to do what they've been watching him do. And because Jesus knows that there is a difference between watching and doing, just like driving, in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to enter into a section of teaching where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the conflicts that they are going to face out in the world on their own. 
interpersonal conflicts, relational conflicts, conflicts, internal conflicts, even spiritual conflicts. And Jesus' big block of instructions as he sends out his disciples, it begins here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. It says that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. Apostles basically means people who were sent. So they're still his disciples, but he was sending them. He sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. So today I want you to put your Bible reading hats on. Okay, so just for a second, get that Bible reading hat on. Because what Jesus says here, it's a little tricky. Because he says, don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, but only go to the Jewish people. So only Jewish people are God's lost sheep. I mean, Jesus, that sounds kind of racist. The disciples can share this good news about the kingdom and they can heal people who are sick. They can genuinely heal people, but only if those people are Jewish. How does that make sense? Well, without going super deep theologically, I'll just tell you this. This was God's specific plan going back to the book of Genesis when he called Abraham. And we can see it here in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God had a very specific plan from the beginning. And God's specific plan was to redeem and restore lost humanity through his relationship with the Jewish people. I mean, here's the thing. His plan had to start somewhere with someone, and he chose Abraham and the Jewish people. That's just who he chose. I mean, check out how Paul says it in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah who fulfilled God's promises to rescue the Jewish people, but he also fulfilled God's promises to bless the Gentiles, all of the other people on earth. God's big picture plan began with the Jewish people, but it expanded to all people. With Jesus and his disciples sitting right at the center of that story, right at the middle of his plan, which is why I ask you to put your Bible head on, because when we read this, when we read what's happening in Matthew 10, don't go to the Gentiles, we need to understand that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and only his disciples. This is a job. What he's sending them out to, it's specific to them, to their time and their context. And it means this, that this command is not for us. It would be a bad understanding of the Bible to read this and think that, well, Jesus said we're only supposed to reach out to Jewish people, so I guess we have to. That's not the case. We are reading a narrative of what Jesus sent his disciples to do. But just because something is in the story doesn't mean it's always a mandate for us to do it. I mean, for example, when my kids were little, we told them, don't touch the stove. But that command doesn't apply to them now that they're teenagers because I don't want to have to be the one making them macaroni and cheese every time they're hungry. They're old enough now. They can do it themselves. They can turn on the stove and make their own mac and cheese. So in the same way, Jesus's instruction 
to only go to the Jews was for the disciples at that time, not for us in ours. Now, that's a little complicated, right? Because what do we do now when we find things like this in the Bible? Something that doesn't appear to be applicable in our context. Well, we need to look beyond the surface to see if there's something broader that, there's, that there is to show us about God's character and about how he relates to people. And what we can clearly see here is that God had a specific mission for the disciples. It was a task that was unique to them and to their context. But regardless, I mean, there was something just for them to do. Now, I want you to hold on to that thought. The thought that God had a specific job for the disciples to do that was unique to them. Jesus continues in Matthew 10, verse 8. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a travel traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. So Jesus, he has the specific job, the specific mission he's sending his disciples on. And he sends them out into this first mission, telling them to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. But that isn't even the thing that sticks out the most. Because Jesus told them to do all of that without any money. He sent them traveling from town to town, a trip which presumably was going to take days and even weeks. But he told them to take literally nothing with them but the clothes on their backs. That's a big ask. But, but it echoes what Jesus taught about trusting God when he taught us and gave us the Sermon on the Mount. Check this out in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw this, uh, you know, chapters ago as we were going through Matthew. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying this to his disciples with this, this passage in mind. It's almost like he's saying to the disciples, you know, you've been in the passenger seat. You've been hearing me teach about what it means to serve God, to trust him completely for all your needs. And now... It's time for you guys to get in the driver's seat because this is where the rubber meets the road. They've heard Jesus teach over and over that serving God means this. It means to not worry about the needs of everyday life. And now Jesus is telling them to go do it. To do the work of God that God called them to do without money, without extra clothes, and without any food. But again, what does that mean for us? that we should do the same thing, that literally we should follow Jesus by having no money or possessions as we do it? Well, no. This is the same thread of Jesus' instruction that is specifically to the disciples at a specific time. And just like the command to only go to the Jews, this command to not take anything with them is just for them on this specific trip. And we know that this is specific to this trip because Jesus said this in Luke 22, 35, 36. So Jesus then asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you didn't have any money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now, he said, 
take your money and a traveler's bag. Now, Jesus had this conversation with the disciples towards the end of his ministry, but even so, different time. And the first time, Jesus said, take nothing. But the second time, he said, now it's time to make some preparations. So again, what do we do with this? Remember, we need to keep our Bible hats on and look beyond the surface to the deeper principle. And and when we do that, what do we see? We see that not only did God have a specific plan for what he wanted the disciples to do, but that he promised to provide for them while they were doing it. So what does this mean for us? And here's the thing, it means this. God has a purpose for you and he will provide for you to fulfill it. See, you are just like the disciples. God has a mission for you, a job that is part of his bigger kingdom work in the world. And like them, like the disciples, that job may be unique to you and to your context, but it matters. And whether you feel up to the challenge or whether you, or whether you feel like you're out of your depth, where God guides, he will provide. I, I love how Isaiah says this in Isaiah 58. In verse 11, he says, the Lord will guide you continually. He has a plan, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. The Lord will guide you. And as you follow, he will tend to what you need. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. Now let's contemplate that for a moment. Put aside all of the churchiness and religion that gets attached to these statements and these things, and look at this as it is. The greatest, most vast, and all-encompassing power in all of the universe sees you and is inviting you to participate with him in the work of restoring all of creation and all of humanity to a state of life and peace. And the God who envisioned and designed and created everything, he sees and cares about your needs as you work beside him. I told you at the beginning of all of this that Jesus was instructing his disciples to prepare them for the conflict that they were going to face when they were sent out. So where's the conflict here? Well, I mean, it's not with other people. It's not with enemies or, you know, people who are opposing them. The first conflict is internal. It's a conflict of faith. Jesus asked his disciples to have faith enough to trust in his plan and to trust in God's provision, to do things his way, believing that he would take care of what they needed when they did it. But that's not always easy. Putting our faith in someone else is scary, especially if we've been hurt before. Letting someone else make decisions for how we should live and for how we should be provided for I mean, dang, it's easy to see why anyone would choose to do things their own way and so they could control things and make sure that they have enough of what they need and to make sure they don't lose what they already have. Surrendering control of our lives by putting all our trust and faith in God, it isn't always easy. And that's why the conflict of faith is the central core struggle that we face in our relationship with God. That's why Jesus talked about faith all the time. I mean, look at the rest of what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verse 30. He says, why do you have so little faith? Look, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And here's the kicker, the most important line of all this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. When you follow Jesus, when you are a disciple, you are apprenticing under Jesus. You are learning to live like he lived, think like he thought, and do what he taught, following his ways. It means that Jesus has a unique plan and purpose for your life, and that his way of living and being in this world is the right way. And following that path requires the faith to trust him to know what's best for us and to trust him to take care of everything else that we need. To believe we don't have to scramble and worry about not having enough because he holds us up as we walk in his path. That as he guides, he provides. That as we daily put our faith in him, our lives will become like well-watered gardens, like ever-flowing springs. God is inviting you into the driver's seat to partner with him in his restoration and in his recreation of humanity. And where he calls, he equips. So may we say yes to the Jesus way of living and being human. May we say yes to faith instead of holding back out of fear and worry. And may we be people of faith for whom all things are possible. Jesus' way is the right way. And when you seek his kingdom first, he will take care of everything else. When you follow his unique and specific plan and purpose for your life, you don't have to worry about what you're carrying with you because he will take care of everything else. I'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.